Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. My name is Jeff Schulman. I'm a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And every week, we are here on Clubhouse bringing you some of the best and brightest in product management because we want to leverage our faculty and our alumni and our connections to some of the best product managers in the world and help everybody access knowledge and and exchange ideas. This all started with a dream from Red to bring our community onto Clubhouse and an introduction to Sumeya and both of their never-ending spirit to really help all of you do better at what you're trying to do, which is product management. And every single week, we take a different topic. And this topic today, uh, we have a guest who's going to talk about creating a customer-centric vision. And Sumeya's superpower is she doesn't need to even know what we're going to talk about, and she could still talk about it and share some brilliant insights and also tell why people need to know how to create a customer-centric vision. Sumeya, do your thing. Why is this conversation important? <laughs> I'm glad we're starting the new year in the right way by talking about customers. I think everyone who has been working in products for any amount of time or who has led the business, a successful one, knows that customer focus is so important and is a North Star as far as a philosophy or a principle is for many people. So I'm excited we're going to get to talk about it because it's a huge topic. Uh, But the way we're going to talk about it by talking about vision and by talking how to make it concrete in the actions you take and how you build products, I think is very important. Because yes, we can all talk about This is, you know, customers are really important. Being customer centric is really important. But what does that mean day to day? Well, how does that manifest in the work we do as product managers? So I'm excited that we're starting the year with this topic. Back to you, Jeff. All right. And I'm excited too. And I'm excited that Red is going to tell everybody what that red circle means and how they can engage in today's conversation about creating a customer centric vision. Yep, 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 yep. So the color red is not because my name is red, although I love the color. It is to let everyone know that tonight's show is being recorded. So if for some reason you weren't able to make it tonight and you're listening to this, you know exactly where to go, which is our How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. So for those who are tonight, you are here as a live audience listening in. We're going to have an opportunity later on the 30-minute mark for you to come up on stage and ask questions. But for those of you who are more shy, who don't want to get on stage and ask questions that will be heard by millions of product managers around the world, more like tens of thousands. But one thing that also helps is our Slack community. We launched it last year. We have thousands of product managers that have come together to say, we're here to help you. So if you're trying to get into the product management space, you're nervous, you're new, you're interested in learning more, I'm going to put a link right above here on Clubhouse for everyone who's new. And for those who are listening to the podcast, just ping me. I'm on LinkedIn. You can tweet me. I don't know. Throw a rock towards me. Send a carrier pigeon. Fax me if you know how to fax. I actually don't know my fax number. 
So that'd be creepy if you did. But I don't even know if I have one, Jeff. That being said, every single day, get someone on LinkedIn to say, hey, Red, can I join the community? Which is, means this is working. And so if you're someone who's new to product management, this is our step of being inclusive. For those who couldn't make it tonight, thank you for listening in. Back to you, Jeff. All right, Red, thank you. And now, Sumei, I'm going to have to ask you in a moment about all your accolades because it's been three weeks. They might have forgotten why they should trust everything that you say, like thousands upon thousands of product managers have learned to trust everything you say. But we'll get to that. First, I guess we've been keeping our guest today waiting. Sagar, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in product and why you recommended that we talk about creating a customer-centric vision or why you're excited to talk about this topic today? Uh, sure, Jeff. First, thank you for having me on this thing. It's very exciting and uh, appreciate all the background here in terms of how this came to fruition. As far as the customer vision and uh, you know my background and why I feel passionate about this topic is because customer has always been at the center of everything. And we have said that for many, many years, right from the early 90s, even uh, if you go back in the history of uh, quality and manufacturing and, you know, automobile, customer has always been at the center of everything. Obviously, in high tech, it's no different. Everything that we do, customer is at the center of it. But having said that, it is uh, a bit esoteric. It is very easy to say that keep customer at the center of everything that you do. But practically, when it comes to implementing that, it is a it, you know, uh, ambiguous, like, uh, what What do you mean? We are all customer focused. We are all customer offsets. So what am I going to do differently? Uh, you know, I'm already customer centric. Otherwise, I won't be in the job of product manager to begin with. So it came to me as a challenge when customer centricity became a core tenant or a capability that we all had to mature in as product managers within the industry and in my organization here in Microsoft. And that led to a journey of, okay, what does it mean in terms of implementing it, in terms of making it as a DNA within the organization, and especially in the field of product management, uh, in the discipline of product management. So my journey has been in terms of you know, of course, every individual in my team, I expect, or as a product manager, I expect that they are already customer centric. But how do you keep the momentum on? How do you renew the interest in terms of customer centricity? And what does it mean in today's age as technology is evolving? And, you know, there are many facets of customer centricity that you can apply to the end-to-end application or product lifecycle management. And that is in my journey in terms of, you know, you can't really define it in one single word or in one single process or one single step. It is really touches every aspect of what you do when you are building a product. All right. And now, Sumeya, if I could turn to you just to clarify for the audience, vision. What is a vision as it relates to product management and how do we want to give guidance for creating a vision? And then we can layer on what it means to be customer-centric and how to distinguish a customer-centric vision from another kind of vision. But just what do we mean by vision? Yeah, absolutely. I think vision is something that clarifies either a direction, a problem, a mission, or an endpoint that a business or a team wants to achieve. If we're talking specifically about a product, usually within a vision, I like to see a couple of elements. I like to see an understanding of 
or an idea of who the customer is, whether we're talking about a regional customer or a global customer or just, you know, people or pets or whatever that is. So the the target. And then what do we stand for as a product or as a group? What are we achieving for that target customer or user? So those are the two elements that are a bare minimum for a product vision. And then you build on that. I've seen visions, depending on the company, that include goals within them. I've seen visions that include values that the team believes in included within them. So it can vary. And then Sagar, what would you say before we get to a customer-centric vision, was there anything missing from the components of a vision or any additional guidance you would offer to somebody as they think about how to take the mess that's in the world and put that down into a vision that could lead a team? Yeah, I think the topic of vision, again, is very fascinating, right? Because if you put together a bunch of, you know, cross stakeholders into a room and start the exercise of visioning something, it can take many different ways. And you could be there in, you know, a couple of weeks and still be wordsmithing it, right? But what I have seen, I will make an observation. You know, what I have seen is that a simplistic end state that clearly articulates the you know the value that you are driving and where you want to go as a destination really creates a forcing function and brings together the team and aligns them and i have seen what my observation has been that sometimes the vision can be a very simple statement it may not be very very well articulated but if it is simple enough that every team member in your team understands what that destination really means even if it is not a very precise, high-quality statement, but if it creates a forcing function, I'll give you an example. I was involved in working in a transformation of you know, back-end BPO for a couple of years, and they had a very simple vision. Hey, look, we have an enormous amount of money going into these operational center. We want to cut down the cost by $25 million, right? A very simple vision. Now, it doesn't really create a forcing function in terms of what it means to the product or what it means to the process. But, you know, interestingly enough, it created a forcing function for every member in the team, right from the leadership to the, you know, analyst or the practitioner or the agent in that organization, realizing that, okay, this is what I'm driving towards. So my two cents, I would say, reflecting back on a variety of different visions that I have seen, some are very well thought out, very matured, and I think they, uh, you know, they, they embed a lot of elements that Sambia was talking about. But then on the other spectrum of it, I have also seen visions that have been very simplistic, but yet very powerful in terms of driving the purpose of what we are trying to achieve. I definitely agree. Some of the most inspirational visions I've seen have been very simple. They allow everyone on the team to to keep, you know, this end result or this destination top of mind. So whenever we're talking about prioritization or action, even on a daily basis, vision is driving a lot of that. So, you know, when we're talking about a product vision, it can take many forms, but one thing for sure, it should also line up with what the corporation has, especially if you're talking within a larger company context. So there has to be also that alignment. All right. So we have a better sense of why to have a vision and what are some key components of it. Now let's get to the customer-centric part of this. 
how do we take this kind of buzzword and turn it into concrete action for our listener of thinking through a customer-centric vision? That question, I guess, is for whoever wants it first. Okay, since I have my speaker on now, uh, let me jump in and at least get the conversation started here. So one of the things that I have observed, again, is having that deep relationship with the core customer, right? So when we are talking about a customer-centric vision, the extent to which you understand the core core business or the core value that the customer is driving towards is extremely important. And as much as it might seem, it is very obvious to know that, to know those uh, fundamentals. Often it is, I have seen that, you know, the product managers who are actually gathering requirements, there might be a lot of layers between the true customer whom they're trying to serve and the folks who are actually providing requirements. So there is that disconnect when it comes to really understanding where the customer is driving towards. The other thing that I have seen is operating at a layer, which is not at a leadership layer in the sense like, you know, if you are serving a customer and if you are talking to the customers, not at the right level, you might get a vision from, let's say, practitioners of a process who have certain needs, who have certain requirements, but they may not be strategic in the long term. So if unless you are having the conversation at the right level, you might miss on really understanding where the leader of that particular organization wants to take that particular organization in five years or 10 years down the line. And having a seat at the table is what I would say uh, when it comes to really having a customer-centric vision and seat at the table at the right level with the leadership of the customer organization that you are you know, creating the product for. And to be able to, and, and again, I'm talking in the context of, you know, a large corporation where you are building products for business partners within the organization. This context will change, obviously, if you're targeting a consumer segment. Sumeya, anything to add as we're trying to bring clarity to this nebulous term of customer centricity and a customer centric vision? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things we talk about a lot is empathy. And at the center of every successful product is this strong sense of empathy with, one, the customer problem, and two, with developing the right solution and doing whatever is needed to develop the right solution for that. As product managers, of course, we have to ask questions around the viability and total addressable market. Is this something, you know, that falls within, at least at a minimum, within the requirements for it to be a viable business, etc. But pushing that aside, because those are much simpler questions than actually defining the right solution to build for the right customer. So fundamentally, when it comes to user-centered or user-oriented visions at their core is this sense that, you know, you have to have empathy to define the right problem first and then second to solve it. And I want to talk visioning documentation. So how do we then package that up? Are there some best practices you've seen in terms of creating this customer-centric vision and putting it to paper for everybody to see and get behind? 
Yeah, there are a couple of pieces to that. I mean, the simplest form, of course, is a vision statement. But beyond that, I think the roadmap is a very important part of it. And by roadmap, I don't mean a detailed roadmap of features, but a roadmap of where we think the product is going to go to deliver on this higher level or aspirational vision. Those are the two elements I want to mention. And then I want to turn it over to Sagar to add more. Uh, yeah, additionally, I would say just to build on what Samia said, what we have seen is uh, we have developed a few templates. Of, you know, there are a few templates out there, but nothing that I would say is standardized per se. So in the past, in order to get to the customer-centric vision, we have leveraged customer journey mapping as a means to do that. There is also a discipline of customer personas to get to that. And, uh, you know, by that, what I mean is really identifying the specific personas that you are going to cater towards and, you know, using the, um, you know, customer journey mapping or a set of questions, survey questions. There's, there's a lot of, I would say, interviewing techniques that you could apply to get to the real understanding of the persona and their needs and to anticipate needs that your product can fulfill. So that's there. But from a purely, I would say, a technical product management standpoint, you know, we have built a few very simple templates based on our learnings, which embed some of these questions, basic elements of understanding the process, understanding, you know, the end-to-end, I would say, value drivers of the those process that mean to the customer, we call them like one pager templates, which is a, a bridge version of, uh, you know, putting a high level, I would say, understanding of what the customer needs are, what the business value is, what's driving the need. And what are the key capabilities that it would need to build to fulfill those needs? And then there's a more deeper version of these templates, which goes into the technical specifications of the product development, which internally we refer to as six pages, which is, I would say, a double click on one pager, which splits the overall scenario or a requirement into much smaller components of features. And so now I want to take a quick step back or to the side a little bit. For everybody joining us, we're talking about a creating a customer-centric vision, and we have two brilliant product leaders. And Sumeya, I promised that we would convey why they should listen to you, and I want to do this in twofold. Talk a little bit about your journey as a product leader, how it's kind of evolved over time, and talk about when do you get to be responsible for creating the customer-centric vision? Is this something that happens for PMs late in their career? Uh, does a first-time PM get to do so? So talk a little bit about your journey and layer in. When does the responsibility for creating a customer-centric vision come to play? Yeah, absolutely. I think my career, I started as an engineer, as a developer early, 20 years ago almost, and quickly shifted over to the product management world. I've been at large companies and at startups as well. So I've seen what vision looks like in a large organization where you have to really align with a larger corporate vision. I've also been an executive where I've shaped that vision at a corporate level. And I've been in startups where the vision essentially was changing every you know, few months. Not because, you know, it wasn't a great vision, but because we were iterating and trying to understand product market fit and actually trying to understand the customer we were trying to go after. And so I've seen different iterations of visions 
And what they have found is, yes, you can keep your vision high level enough that you don't have to change it, but don't be afraid to change it. And if you feel like for your team's purposes and where the organization is that you need to be at a lower level of detail, do that. So, you know, I, I've seen different iterations of this. I think a couple of principles that are really important. The reason why this user-centered aspect of this is really critical and needs to hit home is because feedback from your customer is the primary indicator of whether your business is going to be successful or not. And so trying to get some of those inputs early on and creating that culture of listening and awareness of the customer needs to start from the top down, needs to start from the start line. Like every place where the business has a stake in the ground, the customer needs to be part of that conversation. Most of the time, the customer is the first thing that's part of the conversation. But also realistically, I know sometimes it's not the only thing that, you know, a successful business or a PM has to think about. Jeff, I'm not sure I remember the second part of your question, if you want to remind me. I think that was spot on. I guess my other part of this is just a matter of, you know, you're a brand new product manager. Do you get to create the customer-centric vision or are you kind of beholden to senior leaderships more doing more of the legwork in creating a customer-centric vision? Yeah, so I don't think it's a straight answer here. It depends. But what I would say is the senior leadership team usually has outcomes and they have a larger vision for the organization. So as a PM, yes, you might be handed some sort of vision if it's a brand new product where the company is going to say, hey, we want to, usually in in large companies, they have certain goals, financial goals they want to achieve, and then they have a problem, they have a business case that some strategist or, or analyst has worked on for a while, they have information in it about competition and, and other things, financial projections, etc. So all of that comes to you as a PM. And then as a PM, you take it and there is more work you need to do to talk to customers to really understand whether this hypothesis that was developed at the strategy level actually holds water when you start talking to people who are intended to buy or to you know be the source of revenue for this product so then the question comes back to you to say is everything is every hypothesis we've made so far here correct and the vision is also a hypothesis there is nothing in the product that you do that's actually you know written in stone and can never be changed everything is a hypothesis everything can be true today and completely incorrect tomorrow i mean we've seen that with the pandemic and a lot of the the realities and a lot of the things that we held to be true not being true the next day, essentially. So it's just a question of time sometimes around this stuff. I hope that answered your question, Jeff. Perfect. Thank you, Sumeya. Sagar, do you have anything to refute or add or plus one uh, based off of what Sumeya said? Yes, uh, I think the, the maturity of the organization goes a long way, right? So if I look back five to 10 years back, you know, the expectation from the product managers was very different when they were putting together the requirements making a proposal and putting a case to you know for engineering to build something today we 
our extremely focused i would say vision and i when i say vision i mean more around strategic prioritization you know engineering resources are scarce the capacity is fixed or limited and there is just unlimited demand and the only way we are rationalizing that demand and prioritizing the investments from engineer for engineering is by the way of really understanding what is the vision from a customer standpoint and does that vision really warrant those engineering investments so uh, yes you know there's a lot of pressure internally on customers and aka business partners who want engineering solutions or engineering products to be developed to meet their needs and the way they have to come to engineering and make it happen is by having a very compelling vision and that has resulted into really rigorous prioritization and to answer your question is it required like you know if there's a new product manager just starting off the gate fresh graduate joining the team and has been asked to put together business case to uh, you know to gather requirements and build a product absolutely they have to explain they may not want, have to write the vision themselves but they will have to work with the business partners understand the strategy of that business and be able to articulate that vision to the steering co or the prioritization uh, team to be able to get that above the line all right sumaya anything to go back before we turn to red yeah i just wanted to bring up a point here that uh, comes up a lot i think especially for early pms which is when you're handed a vision it's on you to ask all the questions you need to ask to become a believer and if you can't believe in that vision then maybe it's the wrong one and it's on you to propose a change to it. <laughs> and to do that, of course, I don't mean willy-nilly. You have to do the due diligence to get to the right answer there. But it's truly, if you are handed a product vision, it's on you to either believe in it and embrace it or to change it. Well, Sumeya, not to interject here, but I've seen a number of PMs that choose a third option, which is basically burn themselves out dealing with it and then up end up leaving. And wishing they'd done so sooner. Yes. You know. Or the fourth option, they just complain about it and <laughs> and it's like it's all in your hands. If you are a product manager, just take it on. All right. I love this wisdom. That could be tough to do. And we're actually going to be talking on January 25th with a PM at PayPal about finding your leadership voice. And I think a takeaway that you'll find that from this conversation and that we'll dive deeper into on January 25th is that you have the power to lead. Even if you're brand new, you could lead through just grit, determination, and again, finding a, your customer-centric vision and finding the data to speak up. So Red... In just a moment, I'm going to turn to you to turn to the audience to ask questions. But first, I am at my computer multitasking. I shouldn't admit that. But I have an email that I have freedom to announce that T-Mobile is a platinum sponsor on the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. So I'm super excited for those of you who have been listening to How to Succeed in Product Management for... However long, I am my most passionate, uh, most passionate about the inclusive product management accelerator. Our goal is to empower 100 professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first PM role by June 2022. Because if we get 
new voices into product management, get them their first PM role, uh, then they could advance within PM. And then they both in their first role and as they grow into the role, they can help make innovations better and more inclusive and thinking of more customers as we're developing these visions. And so I'm forever grateful that we started this program. Marty Burris has started it based off of her own coaching program. And now what started as just a dream from Marty Burris, uh, helping one person at a time has turned into a full program with the sponsorship of T-Mobile, joining Amazon, joining Starbucks, and another company that I'll announce next week if I can. It's just such a big deal to me to see the corporate community really valuing uh, diversity and product managers who really care about inclusion. Because it's not just about diverse talent we're bringing in, but we're bringing in diverse talent who cares about creating innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. So huge shout out to T-Mobile. Thank you for the woohoo, Sumeya, because you've heard me. I'm excited about this. I've been excited, and it's super cool that T-Mobile's a partner in this now. And with that, I love it. Red, it's your turn to shine. Yeah, well, I think it's very entertaining that you chose to mention T-Mobile now when we're talking about customer centricity. Because when you talk about the telco industry, it's very clear that they like to position themselves as Team Magenta. It's all about people, not users. So you know what? When we talk about customer centricity, go Seattle tech company, Timo. Rock on. Well done. And so, you once had, didn't you once have a pink... T-Mobile onesie that you still, wore for? Still do. Still do. <laughs> you might need to change your profile picture to celebrate this momentous occasion as you go to questions. For those who are not aware of what Jeff is talking about, one of our first clubhouses, we had a guest from T-Mobile. So I ran upstairs because that's the beauty of clubhouse. You're not tied to a computer and changed into a onesie and then took a selfie and put it up as my profile pic to match hers exactly. <laughs> that's how committed I am. The customer centricity. So uh, with that in mind, we've been saying the word for a while, but there are a lot of people who probably want to know what it means to them. Uh, so this is a chi- time to ask questions, to chime on in. So we want to teach you how to do that. There is a button on the bottom of your screen. It looks like a little hand on top of a notepad. That is the button that if you click, will give you an opportunity to come to stage. Now we ask that you have a profile photo and something in your bio that describes what you do. So we know you're not just someone coming on stage heckling or spam. Yes, you do not need to be a PM to come on stage because the whole goal of this program is to make it more inclusive for people to become PM. So Jeff, Sumeya, it's official this year in 2022. I am open to physical therapists or dentists, anyone who is exploring the path to PMdom to come up on stage. I will not be biased with who can raise their hand. Yet another Uh, reason for (laughs) optimism in 2022. Red has changed his outlook. Love it. But if you are a duck, or some kind of farm animal, I will not invite you on stage. Just saying. I don't see a duck becoming a PM. Maybe there's a different argument for another day. That's where you draw the line. We got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm going to invite you on stage. In order of hand raises, all I ask is that you do not jump onto the mic just right away. And then if you are someone who's more shy and don't want to ask a question, that's fine too. You can go into the Slack channel. There's a button on the top of the screen where you can opt in to ask questions and go to the events channel and just tag red and say, what's up? And ask your question. I'll ask it on your behalf. So with that in mind, look at your screen now. I've invited a few of you to come up on stage. God, we got people here with empathy in their bio. We got people who really look thoughtful. This is going to be a great conversation. We are going to go in order of those who raised their hands. So please put yourselves on mute. With that, David, you are pondering the life. If, if, if people were listening to this podcast right now, this is an ex-Googler who's looking to the cloud saying, what problem am I going to solve next? So David Lee, this stage is yours. 
what question do you have or what thought do you want to add? Hello, thanks for having me. So the users that I'm serving are freelancers and uh, creators, right? And the problems that I'm trying to solve for them is they actually don't know how to monetize their talents. So I started working with them and I'm providing features and our products so that they can utilize. The more and more I listen to them and uh, I uh, come up with the features to solve for them, I feel like I'm building a, a product that already exists in the market. So for instance, like a Wix or the Squarespace, uh, these are the, uh, the products that I'm competing against, but I feel like I'm just building another Wix and a Squarespace. So my question is from the prioritization, right? I'm trying to come up with the features that will differentiate us. So I'm trying to ideate and come up with those features. These features might not, be, uh, might not bring immediate needs for um, our current clients, but our current client is asking for the features that are already existing in the market. How do I prioritize that, come up with the innovative features versus serving my current clients right now? That's a fantastic question. And <laughs> it's always the big question. You want to make your customers happy, but you still need to be differentiated in the marketplace. So uh, with that cigar, would you like to take a shot at that? Yeah, it sounds like you have a current customer base where, uh, you know, and I think uh, uh, if I understand your uh, question correctly, uh, the requirements or the features that uh, you are being asked, uh, they already exist in in the outside uh, world or in the competition, right? So uh, one of the things that you want to always do, maybe it's not fit for your scenario, is a buy versus build conversation, right? So because at the end of the day, you want to you want to invest and um, provide the, uh, meet the customer requirements in the most economical way. From a product management standpoint, uh, you know, the mindset that we want to have is number one, really understanding the problem that they're trying to solve. And when it comes to the solutioning of that problem or how you are going to address the problem, the economics of the problem, uh, we obviously work very closely with our architects and the engineering team to understand what's the best path, what's the most economical path to essentially address that problem, right? Obviously, if there's a if there's a solution out there which is um, already fully baked, very matured, and you know it won't make any sense to have a lot of engineering investments done if there is no there's no long term value, you know, from an architectural standpoint. If there's no value in terms of investing in this to build a bigger ecosystem that might provide additional components or values down the road. You may want to think about from an architectural standpoint, you have an option to really connect, you know, what is already out there with your platform and kind of extend the existing platform by by integrating that. However, uh, one of the things that I would say from a product management standpoint, you know, we have a line that we draw in terms of, you know, not crossing the line of actually solutioning, right? So uh, so uh, we will make sure that we understand the problem correctly. We know what the value, where the value is. And, you know, from a time sensitivity, from a sense of urgency standpoint, uh, you know, the appetite of the customer and, of course, the competitive landscape that is out there. And from that standpoint, you know, this becomes a conversation from a long-term standpoint, from your organization standpoint also, whether it's a worthwhile investment to make. Just a clarifying question here, Sagar. Are you saying that it's better for him to tell his customers to go use the competitor versus him re-engineering the competitor? Because again, we're trying to be customer-centric here, so he has to tell them something, you know? 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, see, at the end of the day, I mean, it's the customer is going to go with whatever is out there. If you're going to take a long time to develop it and build it and, you know, it's going to be cost prohibitive. So the way I would approach is, you know, it's a buy versus build decision that needs to be weighted. And the other thing that I would say is that if you are really behind the cycle in terms of the competing uh, products that are out there in the industry, then you may want to think, rethink in terms of how you are building your platform out. And if, if there is a opportunity to leverage other services out there instead of rebuilding them, reinventing them. I have a quick take on this one. You know, if I was faced with the same issue, I would actually sit down and ask the question of why are my customers not using these competitors? I mean, we always try to jump to the solutions, but I want to dig deeper into the problem. I want to observe my customers. How would they go about finding a solution to this problem? Basically, yes, there are a bunch of solutions in the market, but why did Wix think they can build a competitor to Shopify or Shopify to Squarespace or, you know, whatever? I don't understand the space very well, but there is always a foothold that you can find if your customers are saying they haven't found the right solution for them. The question is, I think the more difficult one is, is there enough of them for you to go out and develop a solution or to bundle a solution or whatever that is. But that's a secondary one. But first, I would start with one, if your principle or your vision is to exist to solve problems for freelancers and the solopreneurs, that's great. But then I would narrow it down and try to, at least for your first iteration, if you are in the early days, try to dig deeper and understand what's stopping them from using all these other competitors. Wow. Okay. Hopefully that gives you some context to approach the situation. Obviously, building another Wix might be the solution. Squarespace could be, and maybe it's your user interface or your customer service that is a competitive advantage. But hopefully you feel more prepared to approach this going forward. So thank you for coming up on stage. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Of course. Now, moving on to Jack, which is one of the nicest dressed clubhouse people I've ever seen. As my daughter breaks into the room, I love your necklace, but not as much as I love that suit and tie combo. Jack, for someone who has, did you recently graduate in entrepreneurship? Please enlighten us. How can we help you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I actually graduate uh, this upcoming fall. So in December of 2022, But uh, nonetheless, thank you so much for the warm welcome. I was a founder and I decided to take a break from entrepreneurship this past uh, summer. And I wanted to ask a question around how to sell a startup asset. So we, myself, my team, I'm not, I'm a non-technical founder. And so my team, we were able to develop a infrastructure for an e-commerce site that that had an integrated video chat component um, to it. So imagine Amazon um, with a video chatting component to it. It's pretty simple. So I don't want to get too, you know, into the specifics of, of how the site works, but essentially, you know, well, we- Jack, apologies for cutting in. And I love the idea of video commerce, but as it relates to customer centricity and product management, if you could be very specific about where we can help, that's the key. Right. So at this point, I haven't really touched the project. It's, I've been kind of thinking about, at first I just thought about just 
throwing it away, but you can't really do that. I mean, it's in a GitHub. You can't really throw it away. But I've been thinking about how to actually sell this asset if it is possible at all. We had five retailers who were going to be beta testing our product, but we never actually Jack, got to that. just to cut you off again, I'm sorry. We don't have too much expertise in selling a business, if that's what you're looking for. So I, I think if you want to table it so we can get to Laura next, and then if you want to stay up on stage, if you have a question related to product management and customer-centric vision, we'd, we'd be happy to help you. Uh, but yeah. I want to t- turn it over to Laura, since I think that uh, selling a business is not quite up our alley at the moment. I had a follow-up question, actually, because I heard you speak earlier about product management jobs. And um, since my role uh, previously was a product management for, for this startup, I was wondering if there were any companies that, that kind of stand out or any places where I can look into non-technical positions for project management. Because I feel like as a non-technical founder, founder as a sociology major, but I also have the entrepreneurship background, that is a you know, field I definitely want to uh, pursue or look, in, look into as a career. But um, it's very difficult to identify roles or companies yeah, it's Jack. I've, I've heard this many times before, too. It's like, you know, you typically think in your mind an engineer becomes a product manager, not someone who's non-technical. But I would say that's absolutely not the norm, and especially the more you look at the resources provided by, and I'm biased because I'm part of the community here, but the Product Management Center at University of Washington is exposing just all the skills that make a great product manager and how to acquire those that you're deficient in. So I would recommend joining our Slack group, pinging Jeff myself, and letting us hook you up with some resources rather than focusing on what this topic is really more focused on is product centricity. But I'm not going to turn someone away. Absolutely not. Let's break off that blazer. Let's roll up those sleeves and let's figure out how to get you into a product management role. And uh, for someone who's an entrepreneur, Sumeya started this whole topic earlier about talking about, well, actually not started it, but part of the conversation was, what do you do when you're handed a vision and you're not you're not on board with it. You got you to push back. You got to say, this is what I believe in, but you have to know how to do that. And as someone who's an entrepreneur, you probably have some of those skills already, but uh, I think we can develop those for sure. So please ping me privately. I definitely want to make room for two more questions before we hit the hour. So Jack, thank you so much. Laura, Laura, you put the fact that you're empathetic and inclusive, holy moly, in your bio. It's like unicorn status. So I'm, I have no other way to, to recognize you because that's all it does in your bio. Please, what is the question? How can we help you today? Yeah, thanks. So I'm a product manager at Amazon um, within a pretty large organization. And I actually don't come from a, what some might say is a traditional product background. I've had a number of roles navigated my way into product. And so I think my question kind of ties into what you were just saying, Red. When your organization has a vision that's either not aligned to specifically for me, I think the org's vision is not aligned to my kind of work streams vision. And so there's some tension around the product features that I'm delivering or I'm responsible for delivering and the overall organizational vision, which to be honest, is a little unclear to me. And so just kind of wondering how you all would navigate that tension. My approach has been to create kind of a vision within my own work stream and really drive you know, business outcomes aligned to that vision, even though at times there's tension with some of the larger organizational uh, decisions being made. Oh, well, uh, I saw, Sagar, you came off mute there. So please, please weigh in. This is a perfect question for today's topic. 
Absolutely. And and this does happen a lot of times, especially in the larger organizations. I would say, Laura, I mean, my recommendation would be to really expose this with your manager and your skip level, right? You want to make sure whatever you are working, whatever you are investing has a alignment to the broader charter of your organization. And if it is not, it is fine. But then it has to be recognized in in regards to, you know, there's always going to be a 15 to 20% of a organizational portfolio, which may not be completely tightly aligned. There's nothing wrong with that. It is more of, uh, I would say, what I have seen is it being impacted. There's an impact to that individual and the team a lot of times. Why? Because if it is not strategic in nature to your broader organization, it is always going to be, you know, uh, competing for resources, prioritization, uh, you know, lack of visibility. And, you know, if it's not in the broader charter, maybe it should find a place where it is more core to a charter in, in a, a sister org within the company. Well, that Laura, does that help address it? I know, Samir, you yeah. definitely have thoughts on this from prior, but please, Laura, what's your feedback? I- Yeah, I think the challenge is, and maybe it's less about misalignment on vision, and maybe it's more lack of clarity in vision, where you run into situations where, so I work in like HR technology or, um, you know, people operations. And so, you know, there's really three customers. One is HR operational teams, the second is employees, and the third is the consumer, right? And so oftentimes what happens, because I think the vision is almost too ambiguous, is when I'm thinking of a customer-centric decision, I think of you know going through those customers and the, the baseline customer, the number one customer should always be the consumer and working backwards from that. And decisions that get made sometimes prioritize you know one customer over the other in a way that feels misaligned to my specific role within the larger organization. And I think the vision almost doesn't create enough clarity to you know have a unified approach to driving the right outcomes for that ultimate customer. I don't know if that provides any additional clarity or it just makes it more confusing. I have a take on this one. Laura, I think it's it's normal in large organizations to definitely have different groups of customers who might have different incentives or different goals, et cetera. And so that tension that's completely natural to, you know, if you're achieving the needs of one, you might be short shifting the other is also natural. But then sometimes you building one feature for one group can actually undermine some other one. So And I think that's healthy. (laughs) The more complex systems you build, the more you're going to come across that. Sometimes on our organizational level, we try to create pods or maybe in your case, work streams that are focused on a specific customer and then allow each pod to go and focus on their customer As long as they have outcomes that line up to OKRs that the organization generates. So what does that mean? It means you can have two different groups within the same organization or two different products groups or two work streams that are working on two opposite customer or different customer needs that might end up even being misaligned. However, they align on outcomes. So it doesn't really matter you know, that maybe one group is not going to get the product they need through this work stream because they'll get it through the other work stream at some point. Both work streams are 
delivering products that deliver outcomes that matter. So again, the thing I want to highlight here that the vision, yes, can be misaligned, but if the corporation is doing their quarterly or their annual OKRs or goals or the metrics that you get measured on correctly, then alignment will get created that way and customer focus is not going to be lost. Laura, hopefully that brings you some, hopefully, guidance as to how to approach it, especially given the complexity of the situation. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I have to ask before we run out of time, I'm just desperate to know your bio empathetic and inclusive product management is my jam. It feels like you are speaking to red and me and Sumeya, not just with empathetic and inclusive product management, but also referring to it as your jam. Was that customer centricity? Did you navigate this bio just for us? That was lucky customer centricity. Unintentional. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for joining us on stage today. I appreciate your thoughtful question. Well, Jeff, you you asked the same question I was going to ask. And Laura, I love the customer centricity and the serendipity, whether it's manufactured or not. Love it. I have to say, unfortunately, given the time that's left, we don't have time for more questions because we have to move to closing thoughts. So, Chaitrelli, apologies. Uh, We'd love to bring you back next week, independent of the topic that we have. But thank you so much for everyone who raised their hands, who tried to get on stage today, and ultimately the topics were fantastic. And like I said earlier, if you're someone who didn't feel heard or want to close the loop on what was discussed, please join the Slack channel, DM us, reach out, and we're here for you. This isn't just one show, one night, and it's over. This is going to be one of those events that keeps on giving until you get what you need out of your product management career. Back to you, Jeff. Wow. Red, I love it. I love that welcome invitation. And I'm like really itching to just play the game of can we get a question asked and answered in under a minute, but uh, you're fighting my, my greatest impulses or should we give it a shot? I'm going to put one minute on the clock for our guest. I'm going to overrule Red and see if he beats me up later. One minute or less to get the question asked and answered. Is it possible? Chatrelli? Only Chatrelli knows. The stage is yours. Please, what is your question? Hi, thank you so much. Uh, I'm not sure if in one minute I'll cover my question, but I'll keep it really short and simple. So right now I'm working as a systems analyst and my domain is in supply chain, but I want to break into product management in an entry-level position. So is it possible to keep for me to keep the same domain and kind of break into product management? Yes. The answer is short and sweet. Yes. We have seen lots of people through the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. That's their path to product management, is take a domain expertise and then demonstrate that they're now ready to prioritize the innovations that get built within that domain expertise. Uh, Let's connect on the product management Slack channel, but you did it. Great question. Simple answer. And now I got to turn to Sagar. Any concluding thoughts today? No, I think, I mean, uh, you know, my first uh, thank you. Thank you once again for inviting me to this forum. It was great to interact. I think really great questions and, uh, you know, uh, would love to keep the channels open if there are any questions uh, that I could answer post-station. I believe we have the Slack channel open as well as, uh, you know, uh, folks can connect on LinkedIn. So I'll respect the time since we are at top of the hour. 
Thank you so much. Sumeya, any concluding thoughts on customer-centric vision? Yes. First of all, I recognize a lot of friends in the audience, and I wanted to say Happy New Year to all of them. So good to see you all. And second, in terms of the customer vision thing, so in most products management practices, there are certain activities we do that make customer centricity something we take for granted. For example, iterations and getting feedback on designs early on or getting feedback on releases and doing customer interviews and customer observations. Those are all built in into a lot of the practices that we do on a daily basis. But starting all the way at the top, at the strategy level, starting all the way at the top, at the vision level, uh, something that we might not think about about customer centricity there, you know, as naturally. So I love this topic. Keep it in mind. Be mindful about it. And hopefully you have a great new year building great products for your customers. And then Sagar, was there any other bite-sized parting wisdom you wanted to pass along? No, I think I completely align with what Sumaya was saying. My one takeaway for uh, the audience for customer centricity is that it's not focused on any particular step in the life cycle of a product. It starts from the beginning and till the end. And what I mean by that is, you know, incorporate customer centricity even when they are hiring candidates. That feeds into uh, the role in every aspect, whether it's in the beginning of, you know, building the strategy for a customer or working on the strategy, working on the vision, or whether it's delivery and also post-delivery. Once you have delivered the product, also customer centricity never ends there because you have still want to make sure that the customer is happy and the service is healthy and they're getting all the requirements. And the last thing I would say is that Anytime when you are thinking about any long-term plan or long-term strategy, always make sure that you have valuable data points based on the customer feedback, whatever it is, whether it's complaints, bugs, requirements, whatnot, and make sure that it is one of your stream of inputs when you are building your charter or the vision for the customer. Jeff, I think you might have having mic issues or his jaw dropped so hard that it broke his microphone stand. (laughs) I I didn't have mic issues. I had the mute-unmute issues that should be gone (laughs) 18 months ago. Um, I thought you were in such utter shock. You were just like, that answer was – I'm thankful we didn't cut this out, Sagar. It was beautiful. It Um, was beautiful. And I was going to say, Sagar, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here and sharing your insights. Plus, over a decade or almost a decade of experience as a PM, and uh, it showed today with some thoughtful insights for the audience. Sumeya, I also appreciate you every week. It's great to have you back. And Red, I can't miss you from giving concluding thoughts. Anything you want to share with the audience? I would just say, and Sumeya, you know how I like to stoke some controversy, but this is not mine to own. My CEO, Roby Ganguly at Eptentive has always taught me when I first joined the company, it's people, not users. So if I can give you one gift today, don't call your customers users. They're not data points in an analytics chart. They're humans. They are people. Mic drop. Wow. All right. <laughs> Agreed. You, 
So Red's a founding advisory board member on the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. And usually he takes this moment to broadcast our Slack channel, our Slack community, and all the opportunities to engage with the Product Management Center. And today he chose some valuable wisdom. It is people. It is people, isn't it? <laughs> they are people. They are people, not users. Excellent, Red. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for really launching this podcast. And I want to thank all our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. The Product Management Center at the University of Washington is out there trying to help you become better product managers. And also, we try to layer in, when possible, opportunities for you to develop innovations that are more inclusive to diverse audiences. Empathy, accessibility, inclusion, these are important topics to consider, and they are in service to what uh, traditional product management how that's being taught, they are in service to that, and we like to emphasize it. And also, I just have to, again, say thank you. Shout out T-Mobile. Thanks for being platinum sponsors on the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator as we are trying to empower 100 new product managers from historically marginalized communities. We're going to be here next week. We're going to do something a little different, Sumeya and Red. Next week, we have a professor from Wharton who has new research on experimentation. And uh, we're hopefully going to find one other product leader to join Sumeya in kind of discussing experimentation. And then that'll give us some context to how valuable this new research is and, and how we could adapt what we do as product managers based off of new research from a professor at Wharton. So stay tuned next week and join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on how to succeed in product management.